Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Over the school holidays, we are going to do uh, spend three Sundays, the third Sunday being that celebration service with the Providence Church. But today and next Sunday, just thinking about God's goodness to us, how God's been working within our church family and, and around us. And we're going to start that this morning, just considering about uh, the church. And we're going to do that from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read for you Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 42. If you've got your Bibles there or it'll be on the screen. He talks about the early church, uh, one of the, the first church since, the, uh, since Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven. Reading from verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of the, and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were gathered. Uh, were gathered together and having everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes to, uh, and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Ross. Good morning, everyone. My name is Ben. If we haven't met before, we're going to have a look at this. We're also going to have a look at Acts 6 as well in a moment. So if you're a kid and you got that passage ready as well, don't worry, we'll get there in a minute. Let's pray, though, first, and then we'll hook into this. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to join together in the same room this morning and to remember that we have a God who speaks to us and who loves us. Father, we pray today that you would help us to see and to hear what you're saying and Lord, that we would walk out this morning different people because we met with the living God. We pray that you would do this work among us in Jesus' name. Amen. So there have been some weird churches pop up over the last few years. And the weirdest church was probably the one, that, well, at least that I was aware of, in 2019 by the guy called Kanye West. It was called Sunday Services, and here's a picture of one of their Sunday services. Now, if you've ever seen any pictures like this, they are all dressed in like these white oversized gowns. It's kind of the look that, you know, looks cool for them, but you just know that you wouldn't be able to pull it off. And it looks really great. A lot of great music has come out of the Sunday services, but it's definitely been a unique experience for them because Kanye West would get up and I guess he'd preach, he'd rap over a song, and then the message would continue as he went then home and over Instagram began abusing his ex-wife's new boyfriend. Bit of a strange message that this church was sending. But see, this is one of the weird churches we've seen in the last few years. And it's not the only weird church. Lots of weird churches over the last number of years have continued to pop up. And whenever weird churches like this pop up, it always raises a lot of questions. And one of the questions that's worth thinking about this morning, particularly as we gather in what we'd also call is, uh, the church, is kind of the question, is that what church is meant to be like? 
You know, as we look at Kanye West Church, is that what church is meant to be like? And if it's not his weird church, it's another weird church, what is church actually meant to look like? And not just what's it look like, but where do we fit in? What part do we play in this church service? Because when I look at Kanye West's service, I've got to admit, I don't think I'm cool enough to be there. So let's think about this this morning. What is church meant to be like? Where do we fit in to it? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this in Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going, but I want to say up front, we're going to do things a little bit different this morning. I'm going to speak for a little bit, and then some other people are going to come up and help me think about what this means for us on the ground. Okay, so let's pick it up in Acts chapter 2. As Ross mentioned before, the very first gathering of God's people is we're thinking about the question, what is church meant to be like? We pick it up in verse 2 where it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Okay, so what's church meant to be like? Where do we fit in this? Well, what we see first and foremost in this passage is we have here a devoted small church. Now, that will make sense the the longer we go in this morning as we explore this, but that's the thing that we see, a devoted small church. Now, let's set the context here a little bit. It's important of how they got to this point. You see, in Acts chapter 1, we saw Jesus died and was raised back to life. And then he went into heaven and he said to his disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. God himself will be among you as you go and make disciples of all nations. That's what happened in Acts 1. Then Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes on God's people and then Peter preaches this sermon. And he preaches a sermon all about Jesus. He speaks about how Jesus is the one who can save. Jesus who died was raised back to life and he's the only one who can save. No other name in heaven and earth can save. It's only Jesus. Now, this is important because Jesus is preaching to people who saw Jesus die. You know, you think about the context of the day. They were probably there. They probably yelled out, crucify him when Pilate said, should we let him go? They saw Jesus die on that hill. And now Peter says, you remember the guy who died? Well, he's back. He came back to life. And he can save you if you believe in him. And what happens? Well, people believe in him. It's quite miraculous. In fact, the verse before the verse we read out, in verse 41, we see that 3,000 people believe in Jesus. Okay, so this is the very first gathering of God's people. They meet together here, and this is the very first time the church meets together. The church being the gathering of God's people who follow Jesus. And what do we see with this gathering? What does it look like? Well, they're devoted. That's the key thing that we see. They're devoted. They're devoted to God. We see that in verse 42. We see they're devoted to God. Did you notice that? They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to fellowship. They're they're devoted to the breaking of bread, which is remembering the Lord's Supper. They're devoted to prayer. These people are devoted to God. Then in verse 46, every day they continue to meet together. This is a people who are hungry for God, who are devoted to God, who want to learn more about God and and grow in their understanding of God and go deeper in their relationship with God. But they're not just devoted to God, they're devoted to each other. You get that sense there, don't you? They're devoted to each other. All of them have everything in common in verse 45. In verse 44, sorry. In verse 45, they sold property and gave it to anyone who had need in need. Verse 46, they're gathering together all of the time. And then it's not just in their gathering, it goes into their homes. And then I love verse 46 there that says, they did it with glad and sincere hearts. 
So they're meeting together not because they have to, but because they want to. They are devoted to God and they are devoted to each other. And what we see here is that this is kind of what the church is meant to be like. Now what I love about this is it makes sense that this is what they're doing. You see, they're followers of Jesus and they are like Jesus. This is what Jesus did in his life when he lived his life. He lived a life that was completely devoted to God. He spent time in prayer. He knew the scriptures. He always did what God's will was. So it makes sense that God's people then are like Jesus and devoted to God. And then like Jesus, they're devoted to others. We saw that with Jesus. He loved other people. He loved his disciples. He loved sinners and outcasts. And that was seen in his actions as Jesus laid his life down for them. So the, the church is just the people who are being like Jesus. And as they're doing this, it's pretty attractive. right? This church looks really good. And it's attractive, I think, for two reasons. Firstly, because it's good. Okay, so picture yourself. This is the church you're going to on a Sunday morning. You know, it's cold like this morning was. It's hard to get out of bed. And then you get out of your car and you make your way to church. And on your way in, you get this experience, the Acts 2 experience. You know, you look around and people are hungry for God. You know, they're devoted to God. You get there at 8.45 and the whole church is already there. At 8.30, they rocked up. Why? Because they were hungry for God. They were devoted to God. They wanted more. They just wanted to be with God's people. And then you, you see this, that you come in and you take a seat and you know, someone next to you says, hey, how was your week? Can I pray for you? And you're thinking, this is a little bit weird. But they pray for you and then they say, we're going to pray for you this week. And then they pray for you that week. And then they ask you how you're going and you share with them, well, there's a few financial struggles. You know, price of fuel's gone up. $2.20, it's a lot inflation's gone up, interest rates have gone up, it's a little bit difficult. And then there's a guy in front who overhears it. And he says, sorry, I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I heard that you were struggling financially. It's all good. I got a property that I'm going to sell. We'll come over for dinner and we'll pay for you this week to make it, you know, to make your life a little bit easier. Can you picture that? Even if it felt weird on your way in, the generosity, the love would be so overwhelming. It would be attractive. You'd want to be there, right? That would be so good to be in this church. And we see too, the singing's good. They're praising God. They're getting into it. It's, it's an amazing experience. So it's attractive because it's good, but it's also attractive because it's really organic. This is just how it flows out. It's really natural. You know, did, did you notice there, there's no red tape? You notice all the things that we struggle with sometimes where things get overstructured and complicated? Right, to point out the obvious, did you notice that in Acts 2, 20, uh, 42 to 46, 47, there's no mention of a committee? You see that? There's no, they didn't need an agenda for what happened in these verses. No, no, uh, no one rocked up not having read the agenda. There's no minutes to approve. There's no processes just for the sake of processes. This is just like organic and natural and good and we love organic. And so you look at this and you go, well, well, this is a pretty good church. It's attractive. They're devoted to God. They're devoted to each other. It's really organic and it's really natural. And so the temptation is to think that, well, when we're thinking about what church should look like, this is what church should look like, an organic, small, devoted church. But the problem with this church is what happens in verse 47. Not the praising God bit, not the enjoying the favor of all people bit, but if we're supposed to be a devoted small church. The problem is what happens next. And Ross read it out for us before, but let's have a look at it again, because in the very next line it says this, 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that sounds good. That is ultimately good. But that's not good for a small church. Because if a small church grows and grows, it's no longer a small church. And if we've been around long enough, what we know is more people, more problems. Which is what happens for this church. You see, from Acts 2, we see Acts 3 and Acts 4 and Acts 5, the next three chapters, they repeat what's happened. So they preach, they're doing great things, they're praying for each other, they're sharing meals, they're selling homes, they're looking after each other, and the church grows. And the church grows, and then we arrive at Acts 6. And all of a sudden, when we get to Acts 6, there's a different vibe in the air to Acts 2. There's some problems. So let's have a look at Acts 6. Let's see what problems this church is facing. It's in Acts 6, verse 1. It says this, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them, so the Hellenistic Jews were the believers who spoke Greek, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, so that's the believers who spoke Hebrew, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So in Acts 2, we've got a devoted small church, but now in Acts 6, we've got a devoted bigger church, but the devoted bigger church has a few problems. And the problems are, it feels like now it's a little bit harder to be devoted to each other. And we see that through what happens with the widows. This is a very real problem for them. Because if you think about it, so the widows were the people, the women in the church whose husband had passed away. And no one in their church could work. So they didn't have any family, they didn't have anyone who could provide for them. And in the ancient world, widows couldn't work. Okay, so what that meant was it fell on the church to provide financially for the widows. The temple wasn't going to do it, there was no social welfare, there was no pension. If the church didn't care for their widows, their widows didn't eat anything. That's a problem, right? If they're not eating anything. And in this church, the problem is the Hellenistic Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews because some of their widows are missing out. Now, if you think about this, in Acts 2, this wasn't a problem. When they were smaller, this wasn't a problem. You know, you think about it, I've always wondered what it would have been like to be a pastor in the Acts 2 church, you know, one of the original disciples. And, you know, you're just, the, you're just doing church life and it's really great. And then you get to the end of the day and you go, hey guys, we should just touch base to see if we cared for our widows today. And, you know, you go around the circle and Peter says, hey, yeah, we, I, got, I went over to Ethel's house and she got her bread. She's sweet. And then Paul, I oh know Paul's not there yet. So we've got Thomas and he's like, yeah, I went to Gladys's house and she's sweet. She got her bread. And then you go around and Matthew's like, I went to Margaret's house. She wanted to give me some constructive feedback that the bread yesterday was no good. But today she's sweet. She's got her food. And in the Acts 2 church, you look around and you, can, you know, right? You know who the widows were. And so you can, you can just go around and everyone's cared for. But what's happened since then? Well, now they don't know all of the widows' names. And now there's a bigger problem because it's not just that they, know, they don't know all the widows' names. Now they're not caring for some of the widows. People are slipping through the cracks. There's a problem here. And so what do they do? What's the, what are they going to do here? It's a really complex issue because on the one hand, it feels like, well, now they're not devoted to people. 
Right? There's a complexity there. But then there's also complexity with what the disciples are feeling because they're saying, well, if we care for the widows, then we're not going to be able to preach or pray. And that's going to flow down to the church and then the church aren't going to be devoted to God and then there's going to be all sorts of other problems. There's complexity here. And it's also complex not just because of the problem, but because of who caused the problem. You notice that? Who caused this problem? It wasn't Peter's good preaching that caused this problem. It wasn't Thomas or Matthew. It wasn't anyone else. It wasn't the widows. No, who caused this problem? It was growth. Growth caused this problem. If they didn't grow, they wouldn't have this problem. They wouldn't have too many widows to care for. And so you kind of wonder in the complexity of this all, if in the Acts 2 church they had the foresight to see this coming, would they still have grown? You know, you wonder that in Acts 2, if they're sitting there and they know what's ahead of them, would they have just shut the doors? You know, I mean, you think about it. Acts 2 church, it's organic, it's good, it's small, it's nice. What are their options in that moment if they can see what's coming? Either they can stay small, they can enjoy what they've got, but to do that, to stay in the Acts 2 church, they would literally need to shut the door. So that would mean they couldn't be devoted to God because God called them to make disciples of all nations. Okay, so Acts 2 church could stay small, but ignore God and be disobedient to God. Or the other option is to grow. But if they're going to grow, it's going to be hard. Growing's not easy. It's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges. It's going to push them out of their comfort zone. It's going to be difficult. So what are the Acts 2 church's options? One, stay small, be disobedient to God. Or two, be obedient to God but face the challenges. And so what do they do? Well, we, we know what they do. They grow. They grow. They face the challenges. But how are they going to do this? How are they going to be able to exist as a church and still be devoted to God and devoted to one another? Well, this is what we're about to see. And what we're about to see is that growth doesn't need to come at the expense of care of people. It just means you've got to change and change your systems and your structures. So let's see how this played out for the early church. You see, they're saying it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word. And then in verse 3, they say this. Here's their solution to this problem. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So this proposal pleased the whole group, the whole church are getting in on this. So they choose seven men to do this. And then the key is in verse 7, the word of God spread and the number of disciples grew. Do you see what happens? you see what they do here? The disciples have this issue. They, are, they want to be devoted to God. They want to preach and they want to pray. But they also want to be devoted to people and make sure people are cared for. But the disciples recognize they can't do both. They are limited. You know, if you didn't know this, pastors are limited. Just to let you know that, if you didn't think that. So what do they do? Well, they don't give one. It's not either or. Instead, they decide to do both, but they do it through people. They delegate the responsibility to the people in the church and the people in the church step up and care for their widows so that the leaders of the church can continue to make sure that they are devoted to God. And what you see then is you get a devoted larger church, a devoted bigger church. They're more structured, they're not as organic, but they are devoted to God and they are devoted to people and they grow. 
So what we see then is in Acts 2, we get a devoted small church, and it grows. In Acts 6, we get a devoted bigger church, and it grows. Which means we're still left kind of asking the question, okay, so what's church meant to be like? What does this mean for us? Well, today, like I said at the start, we're going to do two things. I'm going to talk about what it means to be devoted for a moment, and then I'm going to get some people up to help me with this, okay? So that's where we're going for the rest of the time we've got together. But what does it mean for us? Well, I hope you can see the key thing in this is not smaller, organic, or larger, structured. The key thing is people are devoted. That's the key thing that we see in these passages. And so what that means is when we think of what is church meant to be like, it's got less to do with the building and the programs and the coffee after, although all of those things are important in different measures. The key thing is that when we think about what is church meant to be like, it is a people who are devoted to God and devoted to other people. And so when we think about that for us here at Southside, that's what it means. If you call Southside your home, it means we are a church who are devoted to God and devoted to other people. Now that's important for us to consider this morning, especially because devoted is sort of one of those weird words. You know, like we know what devoted means, but we just don't use it that much, right? I don't don't know. I can't remember the last time I used the word devoted. But as I was thinking about this week, we, we do know what it means, right? You would say devoted is to be so committed to something that it only takes something massive to break that. Okay, so in different areas of life, we are devoted to things. So, you know, parents are devoted to their children. Pooey nappies, sleepless nights, tantrums at the age of 25. Parents keep turning up, and I'm told the tantrums, the older they get, the harder they get. Can I get an amen? No, I, you don't need to amen that. I know the kids are in. So, but, but parents keep turning up, right? In the middle of all that, There will still be food on the table at lunchtime. What is that? It's devoted. Work. If we think about work, you know, some of us are working, you know, early mornings, late nights, big stress, burdens that we are carrying, and yet we keep turning up. Now, why do we keep turning up? You know, you you think it's because they pay us, but the reality is they pay you because you're devoted. Or you think about it in other areas of life. You think about it with your friends, right? Whatever age you are, you might have a group of friends, your tribe, your people. You know, some of us have friends who live in other countries, you know, that we've gone through the highs and lows of life with, some in different time zones, where if they had a problem and they rang us up, we would answer the phone at any time. You know, people have friends like that. What is that? It's devoted. Or or you think about sport, right? Many of us are playing sport this season, And we get into sport and we go to training. And why do we go to training? Because we want to get better and we want our teammates to get better. And then on Saturday or whenever the game is, we we have our game on. And we love it. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I loved Saturday morning sport. I used to, I'd wake up at like five o'clock. I'd look outside to see if it was raining. And if it wasn't raining, we were on. I loved that experience. And my whole life revolved around that. So nothing got in the way of that. That was That was game time for me, and I loved that. What is that to sport? What are we to our teams? We are, we're devoted. So we actually know what devoted means in life. We, all of us sitting here this morning are devoted to a bunch of different things. We know what devoted means, but we might never made the connection between the fact of what devoted means and the reality that this is what God calls 
his church to be. A people who are devoted to God and devoted to others. You know, we looked at this last week. God is meant to be the center, our primary identity. So what that means is that we are more devoted to God than anything else in life. You know, more than work or sport or finances or whatever else, that we are more devoted to God. And then we're devoted, that overflows, that we're devoted to His people. And so again, what that means is if you call Southside your home, this is the call that we are devoted to God and devoted to others. Now what I love about this church is how we've seen this over the years. You know, it is one of the great joys to see people who are so committed to God and His people. You know, when you think about our church over the last like 10 or so years, you know, we've had to grow and shift and change and that's been hard. You know, it's even longer than that. You know, our, our church was a small organic church and then it grew and it became more structured and it was difficult and challenging but people stuck with it in the middle of the challenges in the middle of the discomfort because they were devoted to god and devoted to other people you know we we watched people at Southside over the years put time and energy just getting us to this place where we are today you know you think about the building we're in Every wall that you look around has paint on it that certain people devoted to God and devoted to others spent hours putting up that paint on that wall. Devoted to God and devoted to others. You know, we watched over the years, we've seen people who have come back from holidays. You know, they put weekend holidays and they've come back on Sunday because they were hungry for God. And they were hungry to serve God's people. We've watched people who have committed to being growth group leaders over a long period of time. In the difficulty, in the middle of that commitment to just keep turning up, they've served because they're devoted to God and devoted to other people. We've seen people be team leaders, step into responsibilities where it might have been easier not to, which means not just you're serving in the time you're serving, but also for the rest of the week. We've seen people do that. We've seen people sell property to fund ministry at Southside. We've watched this time and time again in big ways and small ways in ways you see and ways you don't see you know you got to church this morning and the space is clean the toilets are clean why because people are devoted to God and devoted to others and as I think about my time at Southside over the years you know I've been here for about 13 years now this is one of the most encouraging things for me when I watch people do outrageous things because they're devoted to God and devoted to others but of course, as we gather here this morning, God is not just calling us to remember the past, to put our flag in the heroics of what we achieved 10, 5, 15 years ago. This is what he's calling us to today and tomorrow. He's calling us to continue in this, to be a people now and into the future who have God first where we are devoted to God, hungry for more of God, where it transforms our lives, we are pursuing Him and devoted to others in ways that sometimes is tiring and exhausting and means we say no to good things and fun things, but for the sake of His people and His church. And so today, this is the question we've got to ask. If we call Southside home, do we see that God is calling us to a deeper devotion. You know, maybe in the past you were devoted. Is it time to recommit to that? To reassess where your, devo where your devotion lies? God is inviting you back to a deeper devotion because when we look at the church in Acts, this is what it means. 
We are a people devoted to God and devoted to others. So as we think about it this morning, the first thing it means for us is that we are a devoted people. Devoted to God and devoted to others. But the second thing is we want to think about this morning is how do we be devoted to others as church is today and as church goes forward into the future? How do we be devoted to others as we continue to pursue God's command to make disciples of all nations and as we grow and shift and change? What we're going to do this morning is instead of me answering that, I'm going to invite some people up to help me think about this in practical ways. Okay, so I'm going to invite some people up in a moment, but what I want you to do is to encourage these people because it's not easy getting up on stage and for some of these people, they said no and then I coerced them into saying yes. Gently, and graciously, but please encourage them as they come up. I'm going to invite Ross and Glenn and Christina and Sarah on stage. We're going to talk to them about this. So let's give them a round of applause. Let's encourage them. Thank you. All right. Thank you for coming on stage. All right, we're going to start with Ross over here. who has got the mic. You met Ross before, so that's good. Now, Ross, the, the reason we wanted to talk to you this morning is you've been on the journey for us with Southside over, what is it, 50, 60 years? Feels like it. Yeah. Uh, 2003. 2003. So tell us when you began, what, was church, what did church look like and particularly what did care look like for church when you came in 2003? Yeah, so even the building uh, described what we look like. We're in a little old house just up the road and it felt like a, a home. So family church, uh, yeah, when we got there, um, yes, 10 or 15 people. Um, but it was it, exactly what you said. It was very much everybody knew everybody. I remember even when our church was 40-ish, um, our growth group, we had, we had a couple of growth groups. Uh, one growth group uh, had about 15 young, young adult workers. They all met at our place. And because they were workers, to encourage them to come along, we'd have dinner ready for them. So... When I think back at that, we had over a third of our church meeting in our house, sharing a meal together every week. Yeah. Like, everybody knew everybody intimately. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, as church has grown and shifted and changed a little bit, you're no longer able to have a third of your church in your growth group. In my home. In your home. <laughs> Although we would, maybe dinner tonight, we'll come over for that. Um, so Queensland after party. <laughs> Queensland after party, yeah, kick-ons. Um, so tell us a bit about that. Um, as, as you think about what church is like today, tell us about this process for you as you think about now watching other people care for people and kind of the, what brings you joy as you look at that. Yeah, so the, the feeling you know, Acts 2 and Acts 6, there's a little bit of sadness. So, you know, we don't know everybody as intimately as we used to, but the great joy in that is seeing the culture of the church and the way people do love each other. So hearing stories about what's going on in growth groups, how growth groups are gathering around people who are, are struggling or have particular needs, uh, whether it's kids ministry, youth ministry or other things, just the conversations and actions that are going on uh, that Kim or I aren't a part of, but we, yeah, it just warms our heart that we belong to a church that's doing that sort of stuff. So we're super glad that God is growing and growing his church, but um, nothing, it, it doesn't all rely on us. Yeah. So we love people, but yeah, we love people loving people. Yeah, it's good. so good. Yeah, and so Kim's your wife. She's not here today because she's sick. Kim was this close to getting up on stage for the first time ever this morning, yeah. but she's got the flu. We'll yeah. get her next time. Um, but I guess it is worth saying, you know, as our church has grown, you and Kim have been so vital to 
us and that shift has been such a gift to our church. So pass that on to Kim. We're so grateful for you guys as well. Now, that's, that's you done, Ross. You don't get to respond to that. Christina said uh, no. Yeah, said no. <laughs> I said to Christina, hey, can you do me a favor? And she said, how can I look after Poppy? And I said, will you get up on stage? And Christina said no. <laughs> and I laughed and then said, here are the questions. Now, Christina, thank you for... Um, <laughs> Christina is my mother-in-law, if you didn't know that. And uh, that is a good thing, mm. I do need to say that. Now, Christina, you've been, um, <laughs> you can't dig up, but I'm doing my best. Now, um, you've been one of our welcomers at Southside over a long period of time. So if you've come to our church in the last, since we've been in this building particularly, you know, we've probably met you as one of the first people that we've met at Southside. But one of the things that I'm so encouraged by, Christina, is why you do welcoming and how you've shared that. So would you be able to share that for us about, what lies behind your heart to welcome people? Okay, so welcoming's personal for me because I have a son who has left the church and the way I look at it is everyone who comes uh, through the door is someone's family. So I try and welcome the way I would want someone to welcome my son if he came back or any family member who doesn't actually know the Lord or yeah. coming for the first time just to make them feel comfortable, welcome, and part of the congregation. Yeah, yeah it's so good. Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Um, and I love that it is the devotion to God that drives your care for other people. I love that we see that in how you welcome. Now, you know, you've been doing... No, one more, one more, sorry. You've been doing this for a while, but, you know, sometimes when you're in a ministry for a while, you, you get good at it, but you wish other people could know how they could help. So how could Southside, as a, as a broader church, how could we help, you know, in some ways in, in the welcoming team, how could we help that? I think most people do it, but just as people come in, we're greeters at the door, but the congregation actually are welcomers. So if someone sits beside you, chat with them. Don't just say there's the cube, because if you're new, you don't know where the cube is or what the cube is. Yeah. Take them through, buy them a coffee, take them to, to kids' church or whatever, something like that. So... Just be aware that people are new and they don't know what's around them. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's helpful. Thank you for coming up on stage today. All right, let's go to Glenn now this way. Hey, Glenn. So, Glenn, you oversee our step, if you weren't aware of this. So the step between newcomers and hooking people into a growth group, Glenn oversees that. Now, Glenn, uh, I want to know, as you arrive to church, so let's think before church happens on a Sunday morning, how do you prepare yourself for what's about to come on a Sunday? Uh, for, for me, it is really about thinking and praying about where I'm going to sit actually in church, right. um, who's going to be there, uh, people that I've met the previous week coming back, especially if they're visitors, or who I can connect with if they've been around a long time, because I find that there is a fine balance be between a church. If we are just concentrating on the regulars who come every week, then I think no visitors will come. And then if we concentrate on the visitors who are coming, then we kind of lose out. So I, f I find there's this fine line between new people coming into the church and welcoming them, them and making them feel they're part of the church as well as ensuring that the regulars here are also followed up and loved and looked after. So you pray for people before you come to church? Yep. Good. So, you know, just to make sure they're here. And, and one of the other things I like to do when I'm here as I stand at the door and then look around and go, where can I sit today? Um, to ensure that I might sit 
behind or beside people that I haven't talked to for a while. Yeah. So I don't like to sit in the same seat every week because I used to do that. I did a course on six steps to loving your church. One of the things it said was don't sit in the same seat. And it's really a great way to do it because you do get to meet other people. Yeah. And the first time I did it uh, at another church I was in, people didn't think we were there because there was a group of us who didn't. They didn't think we were there because we weren't in the same spot. Yeah. But we were at church. So it's a look around, you go, oh, those people are all in that. But then we started moving and it was, yeah. it, was a, it was a great experience because you do get to know the bigger and wider church. Yeah. And I love just to highlight that. So I love that picture of like thinking through before you come to church, praying about it and being aware of God's sovereignty and what God is doing that where God places you in your seat is there for a reason. And to kind of look around and go, well, how can we help these people who are around me today? And then you change seats. So it changes who you're sitting next to. And I was just looking around up here because you do get a better view and I was looking yeah. to see if some people were here. Yeah, so good. No, no, no. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that's good. So, yeah, that's also one of the ways that you can welcome. Just come on stage and have a look around and that really helps. That's good. Okay, thank you, Glenn. I love that picture, though, of praying before church because sometimes we just rock up. Now, Sarah, thank you for coming on uh, stage as well. That's okay. Um, now, just to kind of give a picture of, of you being up here. So Sarah and her husband, Dan, help oversee our growth groups. Mm -hmm. And growth group is one of the ways, one of the structures that help us care for people. So can you tell us a little bit about the structure of growth group and how it, how it does that? Yeah, so we have 15 growth groups in our church at the moment, I think, um, and like 25 leaders who lead those growth groups each week. Um, and so what growth group looks like, um, we meet once a week on various nights during the week or during the day um, with a group of other people from the church. Um, we look at usually the passage that has been preached on Sunday, um, think about how it applies to our lives um, and also spend some time sharing about well, what do our lives look like and praying for each other and just loving each other. Yeah. And just while we're here, how mm. big are the average growth group? Uh, about between like 10 and 12 people. Yeah. yeah. So if you think about that, there's no way in your growth group that you could not know everyone's names and who's there in a growth group. Correct. I mean, we you could, but... <laughs> we do, yes, we do know who is there and yeah. we do know their names and but usually a few more things about them too. Yeah, it's helpful because, you know, we can think about, so on a Sunday and mm. particularly if we keep reaching our community and making growing disciples, we might get a little bit bigger. And on a Sunday, sometimes you can come and feel like I got a bit lost. Mm. But we hope that and we pray that and we're working towards that, that couldn't happen in a growth group, that mm. you have a space to actually share your problems and your care and what you need and what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now tell us a little bit about your experience of growth group because, you know, sometimes we, we get to leading growth groups, so we've also had a, an experience of that. So tell us particularly here at Southside what your experience has been like. Yeah, so... Um We've been at Southside now six years um, and, yeah, have been in a few different growth groups just with, like, seasons changing in my life. Um, but I think for me, I think some of the things you said there, like, the real benefit and blessing to growth group has been to be able to actually meet people in the church and grow deeper relationships with them because you don't often sit beside the same people every week um, or even get to talk to the same people after church on Sunday, but you do get to see the same people at growth group each week. Um, and particularly, yeah, coming into a new church, like it can be, no matter what the size is, something new is always daunting. Um, and to be able to just have like a smaller group of people to get to know and also for them get to get to know you 
um, yeah, really helped us settle in here at Southside um, and, yeah, has been a real blessing to us. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Now, if someone was here and not in a growth group and they wanted to join one, what would they do, Sarah? I'd love to chat to them. Yeah, cool. Or Dan would too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we – yeah, part of Dan and I, how we serve here at Southside is looking after our growth group leaders and also, um, yeah, working with Glenn on new people or people – who maybe aren't new but aren't in a growth group. Um, because, yeah, we really do believe that it makes a difference to your relationship with God and relationship with other people at church, and we'd love to connect people if they are key. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Now, it's the reason particularly we wanted to highlight that, again, is just to go, this is one of our structures in our church, but it's not a structure for no reason. We have growth groups because we want to care for people and love people. And in our growth groups, we do get to practice devotion to God and devotion to others. Okay, thank you. I hope that there's some practical stuff there. Even one thing from one person that you might be able to take today and apply it, and uh, that would be really helpful. But can we just thank these guys again? Thank you for coming up. Take your chair off the table as well. Your chair off, not the table, the stage. Thank you. So as we've seen, devotion to God, devotion to others, this is what it means to be a part of Southside. I hope there's some practical stuff for you. But what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing, and then we're going to practice some of this stuff after our service as we eat together, as we, sorry, drink a coffee together and hang out together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus has shown us what it looks like to be a follower. Lord, to be devoted to you and devoted to other people. And Father, we pray that you would give us the ability to do this and that you would help us to put this into practice. God, we pray for some of us today, if we're feeling this challenge to put you first. Lord, that you would help us to, to act on this and put it into practice. And you'd help us to act on this and put it into practice because you are a gracious God who invites us back in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.